Welcome into this Five Clubs conversation. As you know, I love talking to athletes, but I also love talking to broadcasters. And the guy who's going to join me here in a moment is somebody who is forging a path, not just in the game of golf, but really in sports at large and not just calling games, being an administrator, being somebody who's got vision when it comes to what's best to make the product better. And if you didn't know it, and we're going to talk a little bit about his history, he's kind of been my shadow to some degree. And he's getting ready to go way past everything that I've ever done. That's Taylor Zarzer of the PGA Tour Radio Network, the SEC Network. And I don't know what's next, but we're going to find out that's next on this Five Clubs Conversation. And here he is, my friend. How are you? I'm great. Good to see you. Good to see you too. You have had uh, you've had a busy stretch. I appreciate uh, your time coming in here because last week was not only all the responsibilities you had on the property with respect to SiriusXM. Uh, you announced all of the matches on the first tee. I know that that was that was great for you. You're a member of that club. You're very proud of your association with the club that goes back beyond your own membership. Your father-in-law has been a longtime member there as well. Um, and you went and ran off and called a college football game on the weekend because you can't help yourself. Let me, let me start, though, with, with what you thought the week was going to be and how much different was it than what you thought it was going to be? I think it exceeded my expectations. Um, Gary, going into the week, I thought that everyone would love the event at Charlotte and there would be some enthusiasm for the event and it would feel like a big tournament was happening at Quail Hollow, and I thought on Saturday and Sunday it would turn into a party with not much juice on the golf course. And it certainly looked like that was what's going, what was going to happen after the Americans had an 8-2 advantage after Friday. But I was incredibly impressed by Trevor Immelman's team to keep it competitive. It's past 5 o'clock on Sunday, and you're still wondering if this thing might turn. For about a 15-20 minute stretch, you kind of could make a map uh, or a roadmap of how the international team could get back into this thing and maybe even win it. The fact that you, that you were legitimately having those thoughts is something I never expected us to happen, have happen. And then the other thing was, is on the property, Gary, it felt like the PGA Championship five mm. years ago. It felt like a huge event with 40,000 plus people out there. And I was a little concerned, you rightfully so, challenged the NFL this past weekend and said that it's a, it was a crime that they totally. had an NFL game in our city at the same exact time. And I, it, it's incredibly upsetting that they did. I was worried that that would take some enthusiasm away from the property. It didn't. It, it felt like a major championship was happening at Quail Hollow. So it exceeded my expectations in the town, and the competition exceeded my expectations too. Yeah, you know, the, the thing with the NFL – and for people who are going, what happened? Well, the Carolina Panthers played a home game against the New Orleans Saints. And you can say, well, you can't get around that. Yeah, you can. The National Football League works with various markets depending on, especially with something that was this far out on the calendar. It's a division game. No matter what game it was, it was a game that could have been avoided being in market. And they also were challenged to a degree by, by Saturday into something that they cannot have any control over, and that is North Carolina playing a home game against Notre Dame, Wake Forest having their game of the year, mm. having Clemson up the road in Winston-Salem, 
And I know some people, and so do you, uh, who ducked out from Quail Hollow because they, <laughs> they had to run to Chapel Hill for their one game of the year, uh, and they were disappointed. But I, look, all things considered, you and I both know this town loves big events. Um, but what I wasn't sure of, like you, was the maintaining of, of the enthusiasm when it looked like this thing might get out of hand, which it was getting out of hand going into the weekend. And I made a point of showing up Saturday morning. Colt Nose, not there. Uh, let's, let's make note of that. Uh, he was not there at, at 7.12 uh, for the first foursome session because I wanted to see how, how flat or ambivalent the general public was going to be about being out there. Not at all. Led they were by, there. Led by uh, former Five Clubs guest Johnson Wagner shout, <laughs> shouting everybody's name on the first tee at dark 30 in the morning. Uh, Colt had just gone to bed, I believe, a couple minutes earlier than that. So that's why he was not in attendance on Saturday morning. But you're right. Yeah, the enthusiasm was sustained from start to finish. And that just goes to show we may not be the most objective people in the world when it comes to Charlotte, North True. Carolina, a town that we both live in and love so much and have worked in for so long. But I think it's obvious why Jay Monahan loves Charlotte, North Carolina so much, why the PGA Tour does, why the PGA of America were invited guests to come onto the property again. Yeah. They have the 2025 PGA Championship here. And let me just go ahead and throw it out. I think they're going to have a Ryder Cup here too. You know, it's, it's so far out in the future, and it was interesting. You did an interview with Johnny Harris, and, and, and people might have seen him last week. He obviously was on the, the 15th-slash-18th green yesterday for the closing ceremony. He's the president of Quail Hollow Club. He's been one of the driving forces for big events going back to the 1994 Final Four, which they had no business having. Mm -hmm. uh, it just shows how much stroke he has uh, in, in the sports world. But you did an interview with him that I was listening to this past week, and he was explaining that the genesis of the President's Cup being here. And I, I didn't know that from him, and it was great to hear him give the firsthand accounting of the conversation he had with Tim Fincham, subsequently him talking to a young you know, lieutenant on his staff, Jay Monahan, who was, who was then sent to Charlotte uh, to kind of iron out the details because... The, the, the Wachovia Championship, when it was born in 2003, was a game changer. Mm -hmm. It required every, every tournament director across the PGA Tour map to look at themselves and say, what are we doing wrong and how must we get better? Because a new tournament has been created that, that's really kind of changed the landscape. And the point I'm trying to drive to is that when the, the, the Wells Fargo slash Wachovia Championship was moved and butted up against the Players' Championship, it was a... It was, a kick in the teeth. It was. And uh, I, I'm going to peel back the curtain yeah. here. So a year ago after the Ryder Cup, we had a year-to-go event, member event at, at Quail Hollow, where they were driving some more enthusiasm. And it was a very successful night, let's say, for the President's Cup. And Adam Sperling, who runs the President's Cup for the PGA Tour, and just did a phenomenal job. And we had Tim Fincham, Jay Monahan, Davis Love, Trevor Immelman, John O'Harris, and Johnny Harris there. And I asked past Commissioner Fincham to the first question that night was, how did we get the President's Cup? And Johnny Harris turns and starts smiling at me like, would you like me to tell the real story? And John O'Harris is giving me the don't let dad talk look because he's going to tell the truth. And Tim gave, and Tim's a great guy. He gave somewhat of a political answer 
and said how great Charlotte is and Quail Hollow is a perfect fit. And then Johnny looks at me, says, can, can I use the microphone now? And Jono says, oh boy, here we go. And Johnny told the story that you heard on the air last week was, that's not exactly how it happened. What happened was, is we lost our date. And in return, I, want, I asked, what can you do for me? And he didn't even know what he wanted when he said, what can you do for me? And he thought more about it and he thought, wow, a President's Cup in Charlotte would be a terrific event to have and host here at our, at our club. And I got to tell you, like you said, he's such a visionary. I think a lot of us, when it was announced, said, is a President's Cup going to work mm -hmm. in football season? Right. You know, our event in May is the talk of the town. Yeah. But in September, when football is going on, how is that going to be received? He told a story on Golf Channel last week about barking dogs, and there were plenty of them barking at him yeah. as he was making this decision. But he saw the path. He was focused on the finish line, and boy, he delivered. I, I have to give him all the credit for bringing this to town. And I'll also say this to you, Gary. Whistling Straits was a phenomenal venue for the Ryder Cup. Sure. But as you know, there's a lot of rugged holes out there. You can't have access to them if you're a fan. You have access to every piece of the property at Quail Hollow. It was the perfect kind of golf course to have this event, which is why I go back to what I said earlier. I think Johnny also had another event in his mind when he asked the President's Cup to come to town. And I don't know if we'll all be around by the time it gets here, right. but I do think that that might be in the city's future. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, look, Seth, while I know was, was on the property all week and in combination, no, I, I do know this, they were not just there because they were looking at the, the, the logistics of 2025. It was not only in the short term of 2023 and Rome, because a lot of those players are going to be part of that, that group that goes over there with, with Zach Johnson. There is a vision long down the road, obviously. And, and the other thing about Charlotte is that Charlotte has proved that it is a good market for these events. And you've got to have the infrastructure it, it's good to hear that you think that there is some momentum, some momentum in that direction. Let me let me ask you though about about the golf course itself. As somebody who plays it on a regular basis, did you have any misgivings about the rerouting of the golf course, and and whether you did or you didn't, uh, your thoughts on how it played out in the I, end? I think that the overall fan, the viewer, probably didn't really care. I agree that the routing has changed. It was confusing for people that live here and that are very familiar with the golf course and that have been familiar with the Wells Fargo Championship for years. I mean, to, even in this moment, as I sit there and somebody said, hey, man, I saw you on 10 yesterday with your daughter. I had to think, did you see me on what I think is number 10 or what the tournament said was number 16? So it was it was a bit confusing, but I also get it. I get why they wanted the green mile holes, the toughest three hole finishing holes in all of PGA of the PGA tour traditionally 15, 16 that are recognizable as well to the public 16 17 18 they yeah. wanted to make sure those holes were part of almost all the matches in retrospect the, the the event was decided on the ninth green at Quail Hollow it was called the 18th green in the President's Cup it, it, it would have been nice if that had happened on what really is the 18th green in my opinion but you know, I think we're probably uh, scrutinizing, nitpicking a, a bit if we're if we're challenging the routing. There were a lot of matches that that got to the ninth green, and when I went out there Monday, and there was no build out, there were people who who wound up, you know, using the build out and the stands on one right. that that butts up against the ninth green to to look out over it. But there was, you know, 
through two sessions, five of the ten matches got there. And, and to what you just said, Xander Shoffley, the Siwoo Kim-Justin Thomas match, uh, which built to a hell of a crescendo. I actually, I, I spoke at a breakfast and the other day, and somebody said, where was it? I said, well, it was on... I, I, it was at a house on 15. They went, there's homes on 15? I went, for crying out loud, no. No, it was 12 this week, but it's 15. Yeah. You know, in, in, it's hard. Uh, it, it, yeah, it was, it was unusual. I, I thought it worked fine. I didn't think that the routing in terms of the, the, the physical makeup of it was contrived in any way. You walk up eight green, you take a right turn in 10, instead of taking a slight left. I, I thought it worked fine. I did hear people suggest on the world feed that that's what they should use for the PGA Championship and the Wells Fargo Championship, they said, are you out of your mind? No, 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 you can't do that. No. I mean, not for a 72-hole stroke no. play event. You want it to finish exactly. in the green mile. You want those last three holes to decide a major championship, which it did five years ago. Justin Thomas hit the shot of his life on the 71st hole of the event yeah. and hit it inside 10 feet and made birdie, and that's what you want. You want those holes to be thrilling down the stretch. So, no, I wouldn't change the routing. I mean, going into it, I suggested maybe they start on three and finish on two. Two is the closest green to the clubhouse. But also get they wanted that build out on the first tee. And the first tee was the perfect spot to have that build out instead of having it on the third tee. But overall, I thought that the golf course was a, a huge star this past week. I thought Quail Hollow won. I thought the city of Charlotte won. And I thought the PGA Tour won. And if we're really going any further, I would say the international team, though they were defeated, I think impressed all of us, gained all of our respect. And the American team is one of the best teams we've ever seen, not only on paper, but actually out on the golf course, too. Yeah, I, I thought the international team kind of amplified a, a point that I tried to make all week at a time where I was hearing a great deal about how, you know, they should really look at, at, at possibly changing the makeup of this yeah. event. Now, I heard you late last week tease the idea that you have a, a right. grand plan. Yes. Uh, to, so go ahead and lay it out because oh. I know it's going to be, I don't know, I didn't get to hear all of your show this morning, uh, whether you, you, you teased it again this morning, uh, you're going to build to some crescendo on Wednesday when you're really going to roll it out. <laughs> uh, go ahead and give it to us. I don't know that you're going to be really that entertained by what I'm about to say <laughs> as I'm trying to tease the fire out of uh, people listening to the show in the off season. But um, there's a couple of things that ideally I would like to see that I don't think are realistic. One of the ideal things I'd like to see is a couple of Europeans in the event. I don't think that's going to happen, though, because I think the PGA Tour wants to protect the Ryder Cup as much as they want to protect sure. the President's Cup. They're making so much money off of the President's Cup. I don't think they want to interfere on the PGA of America's turf and take European players away. Ideally, though, it'd be nice to have a couple of wildcard picks and they could come from anywhere in the world, including Europe. Can you imagine if Rory McIlroy and John Rahm had just played in this event this past week, how much more competitive it would have been? I think that'd be one way to combat what's happening in live golf. But again, I don't think that's idealistic. I love the idea of growing the women's game and getting more eyeballs on it. But I also don't know that that is the best idea for the President's Cup is to put women also in the event with men. To me, they're just a couple of tweaks, Gary. Mm -hmm. And, and here, are, here they are. I think, that, I think that early July has become a soft spot on the PGA Tour's schedule. Mm -hmm. And the 4th of July used to have some big events. Tiger had a, an event, obviously, that he was running that build up, built up to the 4th of July. I think the President's Cup around the 4th of July would make a lot more sense than it does during football season. You'd get many more eyeballs tuned into the event that aren't watching the go down to the wire on the red zone channel with whatever game's going on in the NFL. Mm -hmm. Get away from college football, get away from the NFL. That'd be one <clears> thing. The other thing is, is I would reduce the amount of people playing to 10 from 12. You don't have to change any of the format. 
you can have five matches on Thursday, five matches on Friday. You can have, you know, obviously the same format on Saturday. That's when you can hide a couple of people is you, you could bench a couple of people in foursomes and four ball on Saturday, but everybody has to play on Thursday and Friday. And then all single, 10 singles matches happens on Sunday. Everyone would agree the deeper you go in the American bench, the bigger advantage they have. Mm-hmm. And it, I think that that would reduce the advantage a bit for the American squad is if you, if you change the amount of players playing from 12 to 10. Um, I, I think I, I like 12 as a number now. Are you, or wait, l- let me make sure that I've got this right. So with 10 players on each team, you still would have, you would not have five, five matches on Thursday and Friday. I still would have five matches. Okay, yeah. So there's no strategy there. You don't sit anybody. You're not Everybody- hiding anybody on Thursday and Friday. And I know you miss, you had missed the strategy, Gary, but let, let's, let me make this clear. While I ideally would like some strategy and so yeah. would you. You, me, and everyone that loves the game of golf is still going to watch it on Thursday and Friday, Fair. regardless of there's a strategy or not. I want people that aren't like you and me to watch this event and say, wait a minute now, the international side has a chance to beat the Americans. To me, that, that makes the competition a little bit stronger if you reduce the amount of players. But no, I mean, ide- you're going to have to have some give and take here. Yeah. The only time you'd have strategy would be on a Saturday. Yeah, the, the I, I actually think that, first of all, I think the Ryder Cup, which is a different property, uh, should they should have already been looking closely at, at going from four matches to five in each session. The, the depth on the American side, the depth on the, the European side is such that um, there's no reason to only have four in each session. I, I like 12. Look, look at how many good American players there are, the borderline great Americans, and to only have 10 players. And I also think if you if you were if the international side was totally whole, um, only having 10 players, my God, it is hard as hell to make these teams already. And then you're reducing it down to 10. I, I like 12. I get, I get your point. The, the thing what, about, what about the what about the idea of going to July? Would you like to move away from football? Uh, it doesn't have to be July, but just right. would you like to move away from I football just, season? I just wonder. The other part about about this experience is that, and even though it was really warm here on Thursday, got really nice on Friday through the weekend, the expectation is that people are going to be out there at first light, and they're going to stay out there all day. Right. Where are you going in July that we're not going to be having ambulances lined up for people to have to go to area hospitals? One of Gary, Williams, of one of Gary Williams' favorite mountain homes is where you would go to have this event if we're going to go to the 4th of July. Uh, maybe we, go, we, we reintroduce ourselves to the Greenbrier uh, in, in, in early July. I don't think July. that's going to work <laughs> out may, well that may with their relationship the in the PGA Tour. No. Yeah. But you see my point. I think that you would obviously have to be careful. You'd have to go maybe to some places that the PGA Tour doesn't traditionally go to somewhere in the Northwest, you know, somewhere to upstate New York or somewhere in in the Northeast where it is a little cooler that time of year than it is maybe in the Deep South. I don't think, listen, the President's Cup was a huge success in Charlotte, but it's obviously not coming back here. Yeah, the, the, the other thing about time of year is that, like, for instance, in this market, you know how people scatter in the month of July, whether it's going to the mountains or going to the beach. Everybody is re-entrenched in their community here, and I'm just using Charlotte as an example. Even though this is an international event, they were very reliant on on the community, the corporate community, and the people who live here to support this event. And the fact that they got forty thousand every day, it's great. And they did, and they did what they did in, tour, in terms of corporate hospitality. I think you tell me otherwise. Uh, a corporate hospitality budget that was somewhere in the neighborhood of ten to twelve million, and they did four times that. 
Now that gets to the other point about this mixed team event, which became a cause celeb last week. And I am, like you, an advocate for elevating the women's game in any way we can. Not through this vehicle. No, I don't think that's the best way to do it. And I think it's because of the what you're suggesting right there is... Uh, I think that one of the problems you would have is the idea of only six American men. You know, let's just say it's still 12 players. Only six American men are going to play in this. Only six international men are going to play in this. Now, you're right. It'd become a, a much fairer fight if you had that format. We had Rory McIlroy on the show last week, and he was talking about the huge advantage the international women would have over the American women. And right. he's right. They would. Outside the court of sisters and Lexi Thompson you, and Danielle Kang, you would have a huge advantage with all the international women that are winning major championships left and right. But I'm with you. I don't think that's the way to do it. I think what they need to do, if we're trying to make a co-ed event, I think what they need to do is they need to bring back that old J.C. Penney event, mm -hmm. and they need to put a lot of money into it on the PGA Tour, and they need to have it somewhere in the middle of the schedule. That, to me, would be the better way to, to recognize the women's game and magnify it a bit. I don't think it's through this event, though. No, it's not. And, and, you know, look, with respect to the history that this event now has, going back to 94, of course it, is, it has been very one-sided, as was the Ryder Cup for about 50 years. It was, and then what did they do? They made a huge change sure. in the format. They didn't just include Great Britain and Ireland. And by the way, the Hope Walker Cup, if you're listening right now, the USGA, you might want to think about doing the same thing too, including all of continental Europe. And since that's happened, the Europeans have won more Ryder Cups than the American, at least since 1985. Right. They've won more than the Americans have. I do, ideally, I would love to see a couple of wild card picks come out of Europe. I just don't think that the PGA of America or the DP World Tour is going to sign off on that. Yeah, I don't think it's necessary. And, and one of the reasons is the world has changed significantly. And I'll give you two examples of, of why the international side doesn't need mm -hmm. wild card picks from Europe. The Latin American Amateur Championship, the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship, the, the emerging world of global golf I honestly believe that in 10 years, the international side, if there are not six players from the Far East, I'll be surprised. If there are eight, I won't be shocked. Right. Th that side, in terms of where the global depth of elite players is coming from over the next decade and beyond, and, and I've had this conversation most notably with, with Eamon Lynch, Jaime Diaz, and Jaime was right. He thought that the international side this year, before everything that happened with lived defections, was arguably going to be stronger than what Europe was going to put out there in Rome next year. I've been saying it for uh, this time last year. I was beating my fist on the table saying, if Cam Smith, Abe Anser, yeah. Louis Oosthuizen, um, Joaquin Neiman sure. had all been part of that team with Hideki Matsuyama, with we didn't even know about Tom Kim this time no. last year, with Adam Scott, with the rest of the collection of players. Corey Connors is a solid player. He... Uh, I'm a better putter at Quail Hollow than he is. We learned that this, this past week, by the way. Sorry, Corey. But if you put all those guys together on the same team, the, you're right. The international team, if they played the European team, the European team that went to Wisconsin would have lost to the international team had they been whole. So I, I think Trevor Immelman's right. You're right in saying that the team is only going to get better. And I give him, Ernie Els, and the rest of the international captains and assistant captains the last three years a ton of credit for building a team when you have such a huge language and cultural barrier. But they've done it. They have built a real team in that locker room. 
I hope it pays off for them and it becomes even more competitive. And let's just be honest, they need to win this event for everyone to truly pay attention to it. No doubt. And, and you know, when it's going to be, could it be in Montreal in two years? Sure, it could be. That's a, that's a lifetime away in a game that is so fickle. One other element with respect to, to how strong the international side can be, they do fight a couple of things. They fight something that the internationals have lived off, and that is common cause. The international side doesn't have this idea that, you know, we're, we're from, you know, the, the dirt road. We're, we're from, you know, the, the, the little tour that could, which right. was the European tour. Even though all those European tour players went on to greener pastures in the PGA Tour, they never forgot where they came from. So they had that common cause. And the other thing is that the cultural barriers, the idea that, you know, kids from Latin America can suddenly be emotionally and intellectually invested in kids from the Far East. But, but the last point as to why the international side is going to be just fine, Olympic golf. Olympic golf That's a big is, deal. is going to is, it potentially could exempt Korean players from military service. You think it matters to them? Watch what happens over the next 10 to 12 years with a couple more Olympic games with the inclusion of golf. It, I, I'm telling you. This conversation that they had last week with the idea that this event, you know, it's non-competitive will be laughable, I think, in 10 years. I think you make some great points. I, ideally, I would like to see a couple less players so that it would be more competitive moving forward. But let me make this clear. My biggest thing that I would change is moving it away from football because of Fair. the reasons you just referenced. Gary, the golf community is, is, so, is about roughly 10% of the football community on a Sunday. Maybe. That's, that is, I mean, yeah. you look at the numbers. Like if you look yeah. at, you know, a really big PGA Tour event gets about 10% of the rating right. that Bucks Packers probably got on a Sunday afternoon yesterday, even though scoring was optional in that game between <laughs> old man Brady and old man Rogers. Um, but so let's get away from that. Let's not compete against that. Let's showcase everything that you are talking about so that when a casual fan turns into this thing, they say, wow, I knew nothing about Tom Kim. And if there are five or six more Tom Kims coming, let's put them in a place on the calendar where everybody has an opportunity to watch them. Yeah, the swag bag is going to be cut in half. There'll be no layers. There'll be no quarter zips. I got it. And listen, you are, I mean, I, I watched you do morning drive for years wearing uh, parkas in 95 degree weather so you could show off all of your Peter Millar garb. I mean, look, that, I, but that's now a, it's good. Now that's it's not a fair shot. It's legit. You're going to legitimately need to wear that. If, uh, if, if you go to a cooler mountain environment in early July. Well, first of all, I worked in a studio with Charlie Reimer who insisted it be 48 degrees <laughs> when the light went on. So everyone was like, why do you always wear a sweater in Florida? First of all, we're not doing the show from the parking lot. It was in a studio. The other thing that happened to me, and Jack Nicholas was the, the one that helped me back up my point. When I moved to Florida, I was fine with cold temperatures, but after about five years, I couldn't handle it. And I'll never forget when Doral reopened and Jack was there for it. It was a cold morning. And they're like, oh, for crying out loud, really was that cold? It was like in the low 50s. And I had like three layers on. It was getting <laughs> crushed on social media. Jack came down and he had on a parka. Yeah. And, and I'm like, see? Right there. There you go. Well, um, just for you, I wore, <laughs> you wore uh, the quarter zip. I, I wore the Peter Millar quarter zip today, <laughs> even though it's 85 degrees. I greatly appreciate your support 85 degrees product. in Charlotte, North Carolina today, just for you. <laughs> the um, I, I want a couple more things on the President's yep. Cup. 
the the optics of and I was I was on the air doing the post game on on PGA Tour radio with with uh, Jason Sobel when this was happening and they had the ceremony on the 15th green and the the players had a had a had a line very similar to what you would see at the end of a a Stanley Cup playoff yeah. series. Yeah. I hadn't seen that before. Maybe it's been conducted at other events. I don't know. But it wasn't lost on me that that the optics of this was something that was very good for the PGA Tour because the solidarity of those 24 players, they're all members of the PGA Tour. And right now they're fighting a force that is trying to be as disruptive as they can be. Give me what you think could be the tangible impact of the week of these players uh, and an international squad of guys like Tom Kim, particularly, who played very well, who are going to be showcased next year on the PGA Tour. I think that's a great moment. Another moment that it, 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 the moment you're referencing on the green, like the Stanley Cup line, line where you shake hands was yeah. very cool. If it happened at Liberty National five years ago, we missed it because that event was over, I think, on Friday. <laughs> um, it, it, I had a chance to be over on Saturday, so we might have missed whenever that happened. But this was competitive from start to finish. The other moment I would recognize is when you were doing the show with Colt Nost on Saturday night, Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas came over to Tom Kim as he was being interviewed by you. Yeah. And they both came and gave him a fist bump and said, great playing today. And the amount of respect that those guys have for him. And part of the reason why they respect him so much is because Tom Kim could absolutely had an opportunity to miss this event mm -hmm. and join Live Golf. He was offered an opportunity to do it. And he just about admitted it before the, the event started. But I have no question whether they directly contacted him. They certainly directly contacted his management group sure. to see if he would play for Live Golf. And the fact that he said, no, this is important to me. I, I want to carve a path on the PGA Tour. Will Zalatoris is saying the same thing. All, Cameron Young has made the difficult decision to stay on the PGA Tour. I think what that's created, Gary, is that you bring 24 guys together in Charlotte that all have an inordinate amount of respect for each other, that they're playing on the same piece of land and they're playing for the same business now. And I think that that will mean something moving forward, that they're all in this together. I don't know that that necessarily existed before Live Golf was created. And it definitely is real now. And I did wonder this going in. How much would this event really matter to these players? Mm -hmm. It was palpable on the first tee when Justin Thomas came next to me to get his scorecard and his pencil. This guy wanted blood when he played in singles competition. He lost to Siwoo Kim, and he was furious after it lost, meaning it mattered to him. Max Homa, when he came to the first tee on Sunday, he wanted Tom Kim. Everybody's talk, self-included, is propping Tom Kim up as the next big thing in golf. Max Homa wanted to beat that guy. Yeah. And there's a big question right now about how much the new series really means when you're competing. There's no question about how much PGA Tour events mean. The uh, couple other anecdotes that you just maybe think of, um, with respect to Justin Thomas, and I, I give credit to Tron Carter. He coined this last year at Whistling Straits. He said, He's the Bobby Hurley of, of team golf. And again, for younger people, uh, he's not just the coach at Arizona State. He was a great irritant yes. player at Duke in the early 90s. Um, Justin needs to get over guys not conceding him, him, him putts because he is forging a resume as one of the great team players in the history, not only of American team golf, 
of all of Team Golf, but that is a petulant act that he needs to lose. Seriously, get over it. Yeah, I don't disagree with you, and I know that there are people that are very close to Justin that feel the same way you do. I would they also, need to verbalize it to him. I would it's also, a bad look. John Rahm runs hot at times and, sure. a, and a little too hot for the people that are around him. But I would say this, and Justin, I think, when he reflects back and sees this, probably would agree with you. But there's also an element to Justin Thomas's success that he thinks is partly due to him running that hot. And it's the reason why John Rahm is so successful, too. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out a way to turn the volume from 10 to 9, but I think both of them are hard, having a hard time doing I, that. I, I, I always will defend an athlete who's in the middle of the heat and was lucky enough to walk a fair amount this past week with Paul McGinley and got some great insights from him on competitiveness and chippiness. Um, I, I'm, I'm with you on that, but this is not just a one-off. This has happened in three straight. It has. Like, come on, man. You, you know, you, you know, this is the one thing he needs to lose this. And by the way, he is as guilty as anybody of being as stingy as anybody when it comes to conceding on the other side of there it. Were two, I was about to say, there were two or three times where Siwoo Kim had a putt inside <laughs> two feet that he had to putt out. And I think that's part of the reason why he didn't give that putt that you're talking about on Sunday. For whatever it's worth, um, I have never had a putt inside three feet. Uh, the, the rake comes out very quickly. <laughs> When I, you should be conceded nothing. <laughs> Since uh, I agree, I've never had to putt a three footer. There's no chance I'd make it. <laughs> he is. He look. He is a bulldog, and he is. He's the perfect guy for the Americans to have out there. That not only can, can be an irritant, but can back it up by being as good as anybody. And and look, we're we're at a time, and that's that leads me to this next question. You talk about, you know, these guys who chose not to. The fact is, is that the bully recruiting is not going away. And that bully recruiting is to the tune of, you know, 30, 40, 50, $100 million. Do you think, and I'm not asking you to say names, all 12 guys who are on the American side, do you think just for practical purposes, all 12 will be eligible, eligible to be in Rome next year? I, I would say this based off of what's happened in the last 12 months. I don't know how I could say yes. That yeah, there's no way. There's there is going to be some threat that Live Golf makes moving forward. They're not going to close up shop just because the PGA Tour has now created an even more enticing opportunity for all of its members moving forward. They're going to continue to do something to try to entice players to leave the PGA Tour and come play for Live Golf. So I would probably predict that one or two of those guys at least will say, I've got to do it. Mm -hmm. personally, I wish they wouldn't. I, I don't know that the game of golf wins by all of a sudden you having some of the best players playing in one tour and some of the best players playing in another. And I know this is a completely different topic and you've addressed it and you've done a great job. You peppered Greg Norman on this, on the, in this platform better than I've seen anybody else do it. Live Golf, the, the people that are backing Live Golf have one motivation and that is doing more business with the Western world. That is why they've created this tour. I firmly believe that. That's not Greg Norman's motivation, in my opinion. Greg Norman's motivation, and I've heard him say it to my face, is he wants to end the PGA Tour. He has this vitriolic thought in his mind mm -hmm. 
about what he thinks, how he thinks he was wrong, which I totally disagree with. But that's what's in his mind, Gary, is he thinks he was wronged by the PGA Tour when he was the number one player in the world for what they forced him to do with his professional career. And the way that he's exacting revenge is trying to take players away from the PGA Tour. And as long as is the Saudi Arabian government empowers him to do this job, he is going to continue to take players away. He's going to find a way to do it. I think it's his whole motivation right now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you say him taking players away. And I know you're just, you know, you're, you're not meaning he's doing because he's not doing it. The money's doing it. The money is taking them away. And my point is, I wonder how long his, his approach and his motivation, which is, you're absolutely right, is to damage a tour that he feels wronged him to some great degree, right or wrong, it's his mind, it's the way his mind thinks, and their motivation, which is this whole vision 2030, and, and to give this perception of being a far more civilized society, so starting with their government, which their recent actions would suggest there is no change whatsoever, and how those two approaches can continue to exist side by side. I, I just wonder, if his position, which you and I have both heard, is not exactly, you know, the, the most secure if his position is, if he is removed from, yes. from this conversation, as people who are close to all of this have told me, he's such a toxic figure. It doesn't mean that there's a partnership because that's no. never going to happen. I think there's a much better chance for a compromise. Yeah. If he is removed from the equation, there's no chance for a compromise as long as he's in this position. But I do think that he is more, I think that he is far more motivated to use the money that this government is giving him to take players away from the PGA no Tour than a future live golf commissioner would be. I think a future live golf commissioner would be more interested in saying, how do we exist with the PGA Tour and how does the game of golf win ultimately instead of us fighting amongst each other? I think Greg is thrilled that there's a big fight going on. I think that he sees that as a win. And I say all of that to answer your question, which is I do think he is going to try hard to pry current American President's Cup members away from the PGA Tour so that they don't play in the Ryder Cup next year. Yeah, he didn't have as good a weekend as he was hoping. He wanted the international side to be absolutely eviscerated he did. by the American side. His tweet, which was answered, I thought, in a very clever, shrewd way by Trevor Immelman, suggesting that he was, he was let's, let's curb you know, all of this turbulence for a weekend. And, let's and show a picture of me winning the President's Cup, by the way, while I say let's curb all the turbulence. Let me show a picture of what I did when we won and when I was on the international team. Yeah, that's a real, what an act of solidarity. Yeah, no, it, it was as disingenuous as anything possibly could be. Uh, as far as this group of Americans, I said it last night on social media, and sometimes I wonder, where is this really going? Is it reaching anybody, or am I just bouncing it off the walls of my home? But, but the, the thing that I wrote was, any win in team golf is a good win. Mm -hmm. And in this particular group, in the collective, is, is putting together very nice, attractive resumes of individual point totals won, and the fact that you know they won in 19. They then won at Whistling Straits. They've now won this one. They've got three in a row. But here's the deal. They got to go on the road and yeah. they get a, they've got to get a rider roadie because for all the glossy stats, these guys will be defined 
by ending the streak. Two That's th the bottom line. A hundred percent. Two things. Today is September the 26th as we sit here and talk right now. One year ago today, the American team won the Ryder Cup 19-9, to and Greg Norman sat next to me as we broadcast the Ryder yes, Cup he did. on Sirius XM. That is another example of how quickly the world can turn. So I don't have any idea of what the world looks like a year from now when we're in Rome, Italy, conducting another Ryder Cup. That is another example of how different the world might look a year from now. We wouldn't think it would look that different. Think about how different Dustin Johnson had one of the greatest performances of all time a year ago, and he's been gone from the PGA Tour for months. The other thing about this day is exactly 29 years ago today, Davis Love III raised his arms as he made that five-foot putt. He said the most nervous he's ever been over a putt in his entire life, and that serves as the last time an American team won on European soil. And you're right. That will be the biggest feather in the Americans' cap that has happened in the Ryder Cup, I think, since the inclusion of Europe, if the Americans can go to Italy next year and win it. You know, I, I heard last night, you know, here's Davis Love, the captain, and, and a couple of his players were asked about next year. And of all people, Jordan Spieth, who has great awareness, which I appreciate, he has, he has context about, you know, results and events that have happened in the past. And he said, I don't know when it was the last time. And, and maybe it's because he had had a few, um, which is totally fine. They won, and, and God love him. He was born that year, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, I don't expect anybody to know what, what, what you or I know because it's our job. Their job is to be aliens swinging a golf club, and they're experts at it. But the fact is, over the next year, that's all they're going to hear. Yeah. Like it or not. So they're going there carrying – all of the, of the ghosts yeah. of all of these teams that not have just gone over there, they have gotten their asses handed to them. I think that uh, what you've just said makes me predict that Justin Thomas is not going to turn down the temperature by the time he gets to <laughs> no, Italy not. for how hot his chili is running, as Billy Kratzer likes yes. to say, when he gets over there to Italy next year. Uh, you're right. There is, a, there is no question that is, that is the biggest motivating factor for the American team as they go to Europe. You know, look, we had five new players on this President's Cup team that did not play in the Ryder Cup next last year, chances are we're going to have four or five new players that play on that team next year too. But no question if whether they're a rookie or whether they've been on the losing end of road losses for years, they're going to go over there motivated. Yeah, you, you mentioned these five guys, and this is not for you or, or I to be a mouthpiece for anybody. The reality is, is that and I think I can separate, you know, whether somebody took money or somebody stayed or whatever, who would be the 12 best guys. And it's not just best. It's this, this team has a fellowship that hadn't existed in a long, long time. And it wasn't necessarily Phil or Tiger's fault, but it just so happens that the two best players who have played professional golf in the last 25 years were both Americans. And they didn't particularly like each other. And it didn't lend itself to having a cohesive a good team point. room. That doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. It's There's a been a, a, a cleansing to the degree that one has been excommunicated <laughs> yes. from American golf and, and in terms of the team concept. And the other one is now become a cross between Mike Krzyzewski and Bill Belichick. He can't get enough of this stuff where he was totally ambivalent. That's the truth 20 years ago. So they go over there with his inclusion and I think he'll be in Italy in some capacity. Zach Johnson will be the captain. That guy's going to be there. He's going to be right in the middle of this. He spawned this generation. So my, my, back to what I was going to try to 
touch on which guys would have been here. There's only one in my mind that would have been on this team. You can say, well, that's because so-and-so and so-and-so left. Patrick E. was not going to be in Charlotte. Bryson DeChambeau was not going to be in Charlotte. Brooks kept, you know, likely it was not going to be in Charlotte. Not healthy enough. The only guy Dustin Johnson. is Dustin Johnson. Dustin has kind of a, 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 a flakiness about him in a very attractive way. He's liked by these guys. He is. He is. He, even, he, he comes across as aloof. He comes across as a guy that doesn't really seem to be bothered by just about anything. And I think that because of that, they wouldn't have been bothered by him, even had he been eligible. If he had taken the money and they have figured out a way for them to still play in these events, I think that they would have allowed Dustin Johnson to play because they don't see Dustin Johnson as a disruptor. They do see some of these other guys as part of the disruption that Greg Norman and the Live Golf League has created. They wouldn't see him that way. But, but to your point of how quickly the game can change, I think that we'll see some fresh faces next year in Italy too. And one that I'm almost certain that we will see was wearing street clothes on the first tee on Friday named Will Zalatoris. And I've gotten to know Will quite well. Will was deeply impacted by what he witnessed on Friday. And it was refreshing to see from afar to see how much it mattered to him and how much he wants to be on these teams, President's Cup and Ryder Cup teams in the future. I think that including him in these Ryder Cup rooms in the future will only help the Americans achieve what they want to achieve in Italy. Yeah, he's got a um, he, he's got a healthy chippiness to him. Not to mention the fact that he is as fine a ball striker as the American side could put forward. I, th- a couple other guys, and again, yeah. Sahit Thagala could be there for mm, sure, good. and he's got it. He's got an affability, and again, I, I look at not only his game. But, but also his chemistry inside that team room. I'm not saying those guys are, are, are guys that hold everybody at arm's length, but you know there are certain guys that can make their way into that room that they, they will be embraced. And I think that he's another young guy that would absolutely be embraced. Max Homa, there's no doubt. Kisner is the elder, which is weird to say, and all those guys love him anyway. A lot of them, you know, rent houses with him during major championship weeks. It's going to be a tall order for Kevin to be in Rome. It's going to be a tall order for Billy Horschel to be there as well. I think Cam Young has a, a, is such a flatliner that, that and, and also he's a savant. with He, he needs to putt better, and, and putting – Ordinary putters, I think, really get exposed because of the tension and the pressure of every hole almost feeling like the conclusion of something. Uh, I think that there was a good baptism for him. Didn't have a great week. Didn't putt the ball well. Not particularly surprising. But I think that guys who get on this side, mm-hmm. they got to fit in. They do. Because these guys, Shoffley and Scheffler and Cantlay, Cantley will be an interesting one over the next year. I think that there is some vulnerability as to whether – He's going to be there, and, and whether he defects and goes over to live. But the bottom line is that, that the core and the heartbeat of this team, it, it's it's Thomas, it's Spieth, and it's, it's, by extension, a couple of guys down the line. Well, and it's why, to your point of why chemistry matters so much, it's why Webb Simpson was an yeah. assistant captain, is because he's beloved by all of the players. And you're right, Kevin Kisner, beloved by all the players. He only had half a point, but he was obviously the best partier on the team, and he's somebody that everybody loves being around. Make no mistake, he'll be in Italy, Gary. Now, he may not be in Italy to play, 
totally. He might, but he'll he, be in Italy. He's, he's, and that's the other part that I give credit to Seth Waugh and, and Jay Monahan. Stop with being territorial about these two properties. And I, I think you're going to see, and, and this is also having vision about what's coming down the road, because for, for forever, most developed nations have had golf federations, and the United States, for whatever stupid reason, is not. That's getting ready to change because the USGA, under the direction of Mike Wan, is getting ready to put a grassroots infusion of cash into the development of players at, at the young level to spawn the next generation of players who are going to represent the United States. And with that being said, you know, this is now a collective. Anybody who is a part as a captain of, of the President's Cup and dis, is not disqualifying themselves to be a part of the Ryder Cup. That, by the way, also helped the European side over the last three decades as they were the most unified group imaginable. No question. And, and the United States had all these odd factions. All that stuff is gone now. It is. And it's a good point about Juan. And by the way, that's how you use golf for good. Yeah. Just want to make that clear. That is how you use golf for good, not by having three-day exhibition matches for hundreds of millions of dollars, but by putting all of that money into the into junior golf, into grassroots golf, that's how you grow the game and make more talent emerge from it. And I do think that you're right. What we're going to see created out of that is younger players playing on these teams for many years to come. It used to be Kevin Kisner... Five, I bet we could look this up and see that Kevin Kisner five years ago would have been probably the sixth or seventh oldest player on the team. Yeah. But because of what you just said, that's why you see 20 to 25-year-olds dominating this event. Yeah. I, let me ask you this one last thing with respect to the President's Cup and, and the immediate future. Fred Couples has a relationship with, with, with these players that reminds me, there is no other Arnold Palmer, but in terms of the, the point is that I think 25, which is still a long way off, but it's amazing how quickly these things come around, because of his, his still connection mm -hmm. to this younger generation, because he's always had a, a, a hip quality to him, I think he's in play for Beth Plage. Am I wrong? I think that um, I think he is. I think Tiger certainly is in play too. It's his. It's his to turn down. Yeah, but Fred's going to be. Fred is going to be available to Could be he captain a team in the twilight of of. And, and here are a couple factors. One, his connection to a younger generation is odd. Most players of his age don't have For, one. First of all, you don't have to explain that. He, he, there's no question that he is. Most players that get to be 50-something or 60-something. They're mean out this, of the loop. I, I don't mean this to be critically, but golf is the ultimate individual sport. They're not as interested in being teammates with a younger generation. They just aren't. They're tired. They want to go home and they want to see their family, enjoy their grandchildren. I'm not saying that Greg Norman isn't, or, or Greg, excuse me, Fred Couples is not enjoying his life. Yeah. But he, but he loves. There is this incredible fulfillment he gets out of the younger generation being so connected to him. So I can tell you, it would be embraced if he were to be named a captain. I would, add, I would take it back to you and ask you this. Who's the captain of the team going to be for the President's Cup in Montreal? Fred Couples, even though he's already done this job several times, to me seems to be the likely choice there because Stricker seems to be aging out of this. Davis Love, that was the perfect goodbye. Webb Simpson's not old enough yet, and he wants to play in some of these events or at least have an opportunity mm -hmm. to play in these. He's, he's years away from being 40 years old. To me, the only guy that was part of this in Charlotte 
that seems like the next likely choice to be the captain of the President's Cup team in two years from now would once again be Fred Couples. If Zach is the Zach is obviously the the president or the, yeah the the president of the team in um, or the excuse me the captain of the team in Europe yeah I would think that going to the President's Cup in two years Fred Couples would be the most likely choice if if he is then he's not going to be the Ryder Cup captain it's too much uh, one year after the next it, it's interesting because you know as far as infusing some of these younger guys I get it I like the fact that you know once you captain a team. Like Steve Stricker, who is still part of it, Freddie, who's been a part of it for a long, long time, they're not kicked out of the system. Right. Uh, the continuity, I think, has served these teams well, particularly with the advent of data and analytics and trying to balance a generation that still relies on some, some intuition and some gut, which never should go away, by the way. And, and, and I, I hope that the American side and all these teams don't get down and boil it down to data these are human beings playing in an environment that they're unaccustomed to being in. Well, that's why one of the things I would scrutinize, and there's not much to scrutinize from Trevor Immelman, was putting Tom Kim out 10th yeah. on Sunday. It, it, to your point, you have to feel the moment. You know, I understand that analytics is a huge part of this, and all of the data that you have come up with for years needs to be factored in. It certainly has permeated throughout baseball and many other sports. But in golf, you have to feel the moment. And on Saturday night, the moment was belonged to Tom Kim. And I think that there was a chance that the international team could have gotten some juice out of those first few matches. If you look at the two comebacks when the team was down four in Ryder Cup history, what happened in both of those situations? The captain of the trailing team put the horses out and they won those points back in those first few matches. Yeah. And I feel like Tom Kim had to be part of that situation if if the international team was going to mount a comeback. So that was the one thing I would nitpick about Trevor Immelman's captaincy on Sunday. Yeah, he had to be among the first three. I will say, and I, I he looked at me uh, as, he, as he was driving away off the 18th green after Siwoo Kim won, and he gave me a wry smile like, don't tell me I don't know what I'm doing. He had a hunch about Siwoo Kim, and to his credit, he, won he was right. It, it, it paid off. But it doesn't discount the fact that Tom Kim should have been early. That's it. He, sh he should have been early. And I get the fact that Cam Davis had a good Saturday, but he didn't have a Tom Kim Saturday. And and Tom Kim playing Max Homo was great, but it didn't. It, it ended up it's not mattering. Late. It didn't matter. Yeah. And I just wonder how many people had turned it off by the time that Tom Kim and Max Homo were deciding that match. Yeah, it, 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 was, I, it was too late. All right, let me get you out of here on this. And even though this is not, this is your first time, you know, in here, it will not be the last. So this is not like I'm going to ask you five questions and, and kick you out the door. And then we'll be very critical. You all the guys in this room be very critical of your performance and we'll never see you again, <laughs> as we do with everybody else. That will not be the case. But I still am going to ask you, it doesn't mean that going forward, I'm going to come up with five clever questions, which, you know, maybe these are clever or not. All right, here we go. Five quick ones to get you out of here. The last time you paid full freight for a round of golf. Uh, it, These guys know whether you're lying actually, or not. Actually, it was, I just got an email from someone that hosted me a couple weeks ago at a wonderful golf course on Long Island that it, sent me an email saying, this is what is owed. So um, really, I'm going to go with wow. um, two weeks ago. <laughs> a little boomerang <laughs> National Golf Links effect. I've never had that happen. I, it, was a, it was absolutely <laughs> worth it. Let me say that. That place is a top five, top 10 it's, golf experience in this country, and I'm happy 
to stroke a check for I'm that. I'm just thinking. I'm thinking about all the South Sides you imbibed. I wonder if that's included. Um, that's that's going to ramp up the so. bill a little I bit. I would certainly hope that it was. I, I ran into one of the guys who was on that trip on Thursday. He still was recovering. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience. <laughs> I don't remember much of it. But, um, yes, I on occasion. On occasion. I, listen, I always offer. Always offer. I got pinged. Uh, over the summer a couple times yeah. it hurts man it does it hurts listen I, I full disclosure I know we get free golf and I never take it for granted all right uh, you can call any event in sports any event which one are you the calling? masters it's an easy answer for me it's my very favorite event in sports there's nothing that is more professionally life-giving than being connected to that event I love SEC football yes and do. I love my connection to it and calling big games each Saturday, shameless plug, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, SEC Network this Saturday. In Starkville. In Starkville. Cowbells will be ringing my ears for days after that's over with. I do. Does I love- Christopher Walken have a suite in Starkville? I have a fever. Uh- yeah. No, he, he doesn't. But he's played prominently between commercial breaks there. Um, I love SEC football. I don't love the length of every golf tournament. I'll say that. Yeah. As opposed to a college football game that takes three and a half hours and you parachute in for 36 hours instead of a golf event that lasts six, seven days. But there's nothing like the Masters. It is number one on my list. Okay, the best interview in golf is? I'd say Rory McIlroy. He's yeah. so thoughtful. I know that that's an easy answer. Yeah. You know, you, I could get maybe more creative and come up with somebody that's not as well-known. Yeah. But But – Rory is as thoughtful a person as I know in all of professional sports. And we did an interview with him the other day. He was literally, he was in transit in a plane. And I'm wondering, gosh, he's not going to be as connected to this interview. I was wrong. He still is so thoughtful with each answer that he gives. And he's never afraid to tell the truth. That's absolutely what any person in this industry would want out of a professional athlete and I've learned so much from him. I, the, the admiration that I have for the way he carries himself is off the charts. Yeah, thoughtfulness is a byproduct of being a good listener. And I remember the first time I spent any time with him in 2011, I came back and that was what I shared with the people I was working with at the time, that here's a 21-year-old who is an only child, who has every reason to be pretty self-absorbed, and he was anything but that. It's interesting about you saying he told the truth. Bermuda in 2014, after he'd won the PGA, and he now he, he had ascended to a place that, you know, is far different from where it is now. I said, do you tell the truth as much as you used to? And he said, probably not, but I try, but I try. And I actually think because he was still only in his mid-20s at that time, that, you know, there was some trepidation about really being forthright about that. I think he's come to a place now that his righteousness is at, a, is at an all-time high. And, Gary, I think since Riviera this past February, he has become even more comfortable in his own skin. You're right. There's more of a responsibility when you have as many people around you that are trying to keep you as measured with your comments because of all the connectivity you have from a sponsorship standpoint and a responsibility standpoint. It's a lot easier to muzzle yourself he hasn't done any of that, especially with golf and turmoil in 2022. All right. Give me the course that you think the tour or the USGA or the PGA of America needs to utilize in some capacity over the next 10, 15 years. Bandon Dunes. I would love to see them play there. Um, 
you know, that when we were talking about the President's Cup moving to the 4th of July, that would be one of the places that I would recommend. I would love to see some more. Can't create. build anything out. Very remote. USGA has a relationship with them. They're doing a lot of stuff there. But you're talking about as far as a tour event, you would love to figure this out a is, way to go This is there. an ideal yeah, answer. Yeah. It's not maybe a realistic answer. Yeah. But, and you know, and I understand the Southern Company and Coca-Cola's partnership with the Tour Championship and what they've done to the community that East Lake is in. Yeah. is something that, that that I don't think gets talked about enough. They have truly changed the economy. They have changed the neighborhood that that golf course is in, and yeah. they deserve a ton of credit for that. But I would love to see that event move around to more exclusive places, you know, that that can't host big-time events that have 40,000, you know, fans that come to the, the event each day. But I would – I think the fan would be very intrigued – by going to some of these remote locations, these ultimate golf destination spots that you have been raving about for so many years. Bandon Dunes would be one of those spots. Yeah, I, I think that, I don't know who I was talking to last week about the Tour Championship. And, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen to the Wells Fargo Championship as far as five years down the road. Every event in the FedEx Cup playoffs should have a mini rota mm. uh, because it's it, with, with every event, you have diminishing returns in terms of the size of the field. You're not requiring the footprint, particularly when you get to the Tour Championship. And I think it's a very challenging thing for the city of Atlanta at the end of the summer on the cusp of a college and NFL football season in a football crazy town uh, to get people lathered up every single year. I, I, I think the Quail Hollow should be part of the road if things ever change here. Uh, you know, a place like Congaree, again, an intimate venue uh, that, that could, you know, 30 players, they would crush it. Well, and Congaree did last yeah. year, and they're going to do it again with the CJ Cup. But I think that there would be more intrigue from the casual fan Agreed. if all of a sudden you show up at Abandoned Dunes or once in a blue moon you show up at Cypress Point. I don't know how you get them on that property, but I, you see my point. is If you can go to what are ranked to the top 10, you, you go and you look at the list of the top-ranked golf courses every year in Golf Digest, and almost none of them can host a professional event. I'd love to see that change. Yeah, and you mentioned Cypress. Uh, I don't know what uh, – number of assignments you're going to give me over the next couple of years. We are going to do the Walker Cup at St. Andrews. We are going to do the Walker Cup at Cypress in 25. I asked that question of Rich Erner here last week. I said, anywhere you can take live from? He said, how nah, about the Walker Cup in 25? I, uh, yeah, I think the tour, when you're talking about, the tour is not an intimate experience. Right. It's a huge thing. But when you get down to 70 and then 30, then you have some choice. You can be a little bit more creative. Well, and, and I give them a ton of credit in, in, the, in the heart of COVID, if you will, yeah. for them going to some places that typically could not host massive events. To go to Shadow Creek and play yeah. an event in Las Vegas, the ultimate exclusive golf course, I would love to see the tour do more of that in the future. Yeah, and I and, and Congaree is is a is a beneficiary of what happened to the CJ Cup in, in terms of where it was, where it had to go, and now again, a field about half the size. They announced Rory last week there are more great players are going to be playing in that event in October. All right. Uh the last thing, your favorite catchphrase in sports, not a cliche, but something somebody coined that you think is will never get tired. Wow, that's a good one. Um, I guess the one that that I think of first is "Hello Friends" from our from our guy Jim. First Nance. one that was is that the on first the one? That, yes. is, is that what you had? Yes. Yeah. I, There's something about it that will never get. Yes, it can be corny as hell. But there's something about him saying it that makes you 
<laughs> well, I don't know why. There, there, there are two people that I admire most in broadcasting ever. And other well, than me, it's... Well, you, you are clearly my sensei. <laughs> Um, you have given me some incredible professional advice through the years. And after I asked you if it was okay for me to go to the third straight place you had worked, you said, I'm filing a restraining order against you. And you do. You mean the world to me. You're an incredible friend. The two broadcasters that I have always admired most, number one is Vin Scully. And Vin always spoke directly to one person. No matter how many hundreds of thousands or millions of people were listening or watching, he said, did I ever tell you? Like he would say that all the time on yeah, the radio yeah. and on television. And I love the personal connection that he tried to engage with on the air. And I just think he, to me, he's the greatest sports broadcaster ever. Jim Nance has become a personal friend. Yeah. And I'm very thankful and blessed to be able to say that. And, ap and the reason I say that is because when he says, hello, friends, he truly means it. He wants to be the friend of the person that is watching football or basketball or golf as they tune in on CBS every Saturday or Sunday. And so when you see him say that, you may say, does he really believe it or is it corny? I guess part of the reason why it's the first thing that comes to mind is he truly means it. He, he does. I, I asked him about six weeks ago to, I invited him to, to come play for two days at a place that, that you know well. And the guy's, yeah, yeah, go ahead and ask. It was Billis. And so Jim couldn't come, but he, he called me and he left me a message. And I, I played it for, for, for Jay. And I'm like, does it sound like we invited him to play golf or that he got another match for a new kidney? And he was just calling to say thanks. Even though he couldn't use it, he was going to use some. It was the most... It was the most heartfelt, appreciative message. That's, who he, he that's is. him. That that's is, him. That's who he is. And, and I'll just, I'll leave you with this, G-Dub, is this past summer, we took the ultimate guys trip and your buddy, yes, Mr. You did. Mr. Janella, um, did a very good job of documenting it on his podcast. But Jim texted me while we're on the trip and said it was really unfortunate that he couldn't be at the old course at St. Andrews, as you know. CBS lent him to the BBC and to Sky Sports for open championships for a number of years. Yeah. And he was able to broadcast a few of those at the old course. And he was very disappointed not to be at the 150th because he had this tradition of breaking into the St. Andrews Cemetery and paying his respects to old Tom Morris and young Tom Morris because that's how much he loves the game of golf. I mean, that's just to give you a sense oh, yeah. of how much he loves it. And he said, would you do me a favor? Would you please keep this tradition going? And we did. We broke into the cemetery at midnight and we kept the tradition going. And the phone. You and Eric Church and the Manning brothers. It doesn't I mean, matter it who really, else is there. It, it does matter. It matters to me. It matters to the public that they know that these guys. Eli are Manning miscreants. had no problem scaling that wall. <laughs> I, on the other hand, it was a little more challenging. I'd use a trash can to be propped up. But as after we went in there and after we documented the moment on video and sent it to Jim Nance, he called and he was in tears. I mean, that's how meaningful the moment meant to him. He is a big believer in the spirit of the game of no golf question. and paying it forward. And um, all of us are very lucky to have him as truly the voice of the game. No doubt. He, uh, By the way, he's never played the old course. When I asked him, I, he was on this show a couple months ago, and I asked him, and he said, you won't believe this, I've never played the old course. 
That's remarkable. Now, I'm sure he's walked it in broadcast, oh, 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 um, yes. personal broadcasts, yes. which he does from time to time. Never, never, never hit an opening tee shot and hold out on 18 before. My favorite catchphrase is, Yankees win. The Yankees mm. win. This was going to be, this portion of the interview is going to be about the standings in the American League East. Would you <laughs> like to go through that now? Yeah, you, you're welcome to. The Worcester <laughs> Red Sox are in last place this year and we're having a, a really rough season but let me make this clear okay i will absolutely sign up for winning a championship every three or four years and having terrible seasons instead of always dangling the carrot out there which was what was happening the first um or the last i guess 80 year plus years right. of the 20th century where we're always little brother to the yankees and we come so close to sniffing a championship and we find some way to blow it I'll take what's happening in this century Fair. far over what was happening in the last century. And, and, but listen, you guys have the better team this year. I love Aaron Judge and what he's done for baseball, and I can't wait to see how that 99 fits in a Red Sox uniform next year. Not a chance in hell that he's going there. He may go to San Francisco. And by the way, for all of you who watched this whole thing, and thanks, Mom, uh, when he said that, that was the Peter Millar was to, you know, because of the brand – it's because that's Miami Dolphins color. And he is he is so giddy right now. Yes, I am. You really, you're beside yourself. I can't believe Try that. Try to compose yourself. I cannot believe that they're 3-0. It's September. And I know, but you don't understand. We don't know what it's like to be 3-0. We haven't been here before, so it's hard to be in this position. But very thankful that Tua and the Dolphins have figured it out so far and beat the Buffalo Bills. Um, I will tell you, leave very you. Very thankful your team doctors that they know what a concussion is not. I think it was a back injury. You can't go back onto the field without an independent doctor allowing you to do it. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. I had this amazing walk with my daughter, Katie, in the final round of the President's Cup. And, and you know how yeah. impactful those moments are with your girls. Yep. And, and to be able, the two of us, to share that memory, that, that's something we'll remember forever. But I will admit that I was glancing at what was happening at the end of that Dolphins-Bills game. And Tony Finau was putting out 10 feet in front of me. And Katie, my daughter, nudges me and says, Dad. You're, Tony Finau's putting and right in front of you. And I'm trying to see the end of the Dolphins Bills game. So I needed to pay better attention, but I am smitten with you my should be. Miami Dolphins right now. You should be. Listen, it's been too long for this to finally happen. Uh, like I said, it will not be the last time. Thank you, my friend. I'm really very, appreciate it. I'm very grateful to you in so many ways. And you have been a supporter of mine, my entire professional career. And I truly value your friendship and your advice more than you'll ever know. That is Taylor Zarzer. Thank you, my friend. Taylor Zarzer, not only the guy who oversees the PGA Tour Radio Network on Sirius XM, also you will hear his voice and see his face on Saturdays in the fall at all the great SEC venues. I really appreciate your time. We'll see you next week on this Five Clubs Conversation. 